You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am. Streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning, everybody. Annie here for Solidarity Breakfast on your 3CR community radio. It's uh, quite nice to hear Billy Bragg at the beginning of the show. You might be aware that he's going to be in town next week. Uh, we'll end up the program with uh, a tribute song to him, <laughs> I think, just because I get to go. <laughs> that was my Christmas present, which is really quite nice. Uh, it's great when you get a Christmas present you actually like, and they're not socks, although they can be very useful as well. And happy Labor Day weekend, and uh, sorry for all those people who don't get their day off on the public holiday on Monday. Uh, there's uh, going to be a rally at 11 at uh, Parliament by the Black, black Union uh, Sovereignty, sovereignty uh, uh, people. Um, you might be interested, uh, so I thought I'd get it in early. It's going to be at Parliament, as I said, and it's going to be at 11am today. And, of course, uh, the um, big news, of course, is that the big peace rally is coming on the 18th of March, and this is following announcements about AUKUS. Um, uh, something else uh, big happened, of course, this week, and that was the uh, a mass meeting called by GECO, the Gungura Environment Centre, around the right to organise for climate and the environment. So we're going to hear a few uh, speakers uh, this morning. It might be interesting to you to know, I, I found um, an interesting uh, tweet uh, coming, uh, uh, giving us a, an understanding of what's going on in logging. You might think that uh, when they announced that uh, uh, logging was going to be uh, native um, old-growth forests uh, were going to stop being logged in by 2030 and that there was going to be this protection of uh old-growth forests going on. Um, logging has started in the upper Jamison River in the Victorian high country to the southeast of Mount Buller, and the logging operations of 40 hectares in size occurs right up against the edge of the Alpine National Park, just south of Mount Lovick. This is one of a cluster of coops which are scheduled for logging. It also includes a significant roading operation to upgrade the existing track, says the tweet. The Alpine National Park is largely based on economic boundaries in inverted commas. That is, the upper sub-alpine zones were put into the park, whereas lower elevation taller forests with valuable alpine ash 
and other timber species were excluded from the park so they could be harvested. Some areas of ash were subjected to once only in averted commas logging before being placed in the National Park. Logging in the Upper Jamison has been going on for decades and this latest area is in Carn Creek, a tributary of the north branch of the Jamison which flows into Lake Eildon. And uh, this report comes from uh, the 7th of March. Uh, it says that how do you know when an area is about to be logged when it appears on the Timber Harvesting Safety Zone website, THSZ? What is in this forest that, what timber will be will the, it produce and how much of that will be low-grade pulp or paper? It's hard to know. The THSZs are normally only listed a day or so before logging starts, so that pesky citizen scientists can't get into the forest to see if there are a threatened species. Not having been into the Upper Jamison for a while, I assume this area is affected by the fires that were started by lightning strike in January 31, uh, January 31st, 2019. It's, it gives you a fascinating on-the-ground uh, view of what's actually going on in the forest. And that was what the mass meeting was about. It was in relation to upcoming uh, laws that are going to be passed in May. Well, may be passed in May or are scheduled to be passed in May that were, will uh, reduce the rights of uh, demonstrators to demonstrate and defend the environment. And so we're going to hear some uh, voices from there. We're going to hear Tuffy Moritza, who was the event organiser, campaigner for the Gungaroo Environment Centre, Gecko. And Natalie Hogan, uh, Echoes Systems Lawyer with Environment Justice Australia. It's fascinating to think that there is such a thing as an Echo Systems Lawyer. Uh, and she's going to sort of uh, give an overview of what the law- laws are. And Godfrey Mose, he's an executive director at the United Workers Union and co-founder of CoPower. He gives us a very interesting reflection on the misuse of safety laws to suppress demonstrations. Um, the, we're going to hear from uh, later on, we're going to hear from Lucy Gurren, who uh, about this fantastic uh, new retro dance uh, event that's going to start on Saturday the 25th of March running to Sunday the 2nd of April. Um, it's at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art and uh, it uh, um, celebrates the 21st birthday of the Contemporary Dance Company but also there's lots of 21st, there's 21 dancers, there's uh, uh, 21 years and also there's a celebration of the um, Acker's um, 21 years as well. So that's going to be a fascinating discussion about how dance and history and the future um, work together and architecture. It sounds like an extraordinary event, but anyway, I'll tell you about it later. This is the week that was, follows, and uh, then we hear from the um, uh, Women Life Freedom International Working Day uh, speeches that were held outside Treasury on uh, Wednesday. But before we do, important announcements.
The US and the UK under AUKUS are pushing Australia into another imperialist war. At the same time, whistleblowers who expose war crimes are jailed. Come to the rally and march for peace, truth, not war. 18th of March, beginning at 1pm State Library, marching to Treasury Gardens. Help build a people's movement for peace. No AUKUS Roundtable is a 3CR supporter. You're with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast and as I threatened, (laughs) we're going to go to the... uh, important meeting that was uh, held uh, down at the uh, a, uh, the Australian Nurses and Midwifery Union offices down in Elizabeth Street. It's got an amazing uh, lecture theatre, um, uh, more strengths to their arm. The GECO, the Ngungra Environment Centre, called a mass meeting and passed several resolutions about... Uh, 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 doing mass actions to defend the environment and potentially take court, high court action to contest the state laws that are being put forward for um, May. But uh, we'll hear now from um, from some of the speakers. I'll let them take the floor. Welcome, everyone. Um, my name's Tuffy Morvitza. I am a campaigner for the Gunga Environment Centre and I'll be facilitating the meeting tonight. Firstly, I'd like to do an acknowledgement of country. We're meeting tonight here on the land of the Woiwurrung Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to elders past and present. I extend that respect to all um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who are joining us here today, especially Marge Thorpe over here, who's come all the way back from Noongar country to talk to you all today. (laughs) Sovereignty was never ceded and Gecko stands with you in your fight for justice. So since 1993, Gecko has sought to um, protect and restore the forests of East Gippsland. And we have a long, proud history of direct action to achieve this. In 1997, we ran the longest forest blockade in Australian history. It lasted for five years and had over 500 arrests. It resulted in Goolungook being added uh, to national parks, uh, integrated into national park. In 2021, after the Black Summer fires burnt through 80% of the forested area in East Gippsland and logging commenced immediately after, Gecko launched the Defend Erinunja blockade um, to protect one of the few remaining unburnt refuges. The blockade lasted for five months, had over 15 people charged and combined with the court cases of Environment East Gippsland and Wildlife for the Central Highlands meant that this critical unburnt refuge is now still standing. (laughs) Given this refuge's uh, um, higher elevation status, it may be um, one of the the final places where species are able to survive in a warming climate. So it's very, very important. 
Can the people who were part of that defend Erinanja blockade um, stand up, if you're in the room? I know there's a few of you in here. <laughs> Great. Wait, wait, wait. Keep standing up. No, no, no. Keep standing up. Um, can, peop- can anyone... Keep standing up. Can anyone who has done sit- surveying for threatened species in logging coops please stand up as well? And, and stay standing. Okay. With the new anti-protest laws coming through in May, these people may potentially face a year imprisonment or $21,000 in fines. You can stand down now. Sit down. Stand down now. <laughs> um, The forest faces impossible challenges um, with logging and climate change. As we saw with the blockade up at the Erinanja Plateau, protest remains a critical tool to prevent immediate and irreversible harm. Many other movements face similar challenges and so we want to make a meeting space where we can see, hear and commit to supporting each other and the world that we live in. To feel in our spirit that we are not alone in the actions that we take. To build that solidarity that is so crucial to winning. So for the first speaker, we'll hear from Natalie Hogan from Environment Justice Australia. Um, It's nice to see so many of you off the screen and in person, Um, but for those of you who I don't know, my name's Natalie and I'm a lawyer at Environmental Justice Australia. Um, And prior to starting with EJA, I was a criminal lawyer. So um, my work at EJA also includes representing and advising uh, forest activists and citizen scientists. So I have the very exciting job of giving you a bit of an overview tonight of the um, amendments that will be coming into effect in May, what that means and the impacts they'll have. So I will start with a bit of background. Um, I'm sure a lot of you are already quite familiar with the laws and what to expect, but um, at the end of last year, towards the end of last year, the Sustainable Forests Timber Amendment Timber Harvesting Safety Zones Bill was passed. Um, It amends the Sustainable Forests Timber Act, which is one of the pieces of legislation um, that applies to forestry operations in Victoria um, and specifically regulates activity in timber harvesting safety zones. And um, again, a bit of background, which I'm sure you're all familiar with, but a timber harvesting safety zone is a logging coop. Um, It can extend 150 metres from the boundary of a logging coop um, and can include a public road as well. So quite a broad area. And timber harvesting activities in the Act is logging, it's salvage logging and regeneration burning. So the main types of offences that we typically see under the Act are entering or remaining in a timber harvesting safety zone um, and hinder, obstruct or interfere with um, timber harvesting operations with or without a prohibited item. Um, And that can be by way of infringement notice or in court. And so last year when the bill was introduced to amend the laws, there was debate in Parliament in the lower and the upper house. 
Um, there was a lot of discussion from both sides um, in support of the bill. There were concerns raised about workplace safety um, and in opposition of the bill, obviously, concerns about democratic freedoms um, and stripping away the right to peaceful protest. And, of course, it's always been EJA's view and the view of a lot of other um, community groups, social justice groups, legal organisations um, and um, other members of the community that the focus really should be on enforcing environmental laws to protect and restore country, climate and ecosystems and not on criminalising peaceful protest. So the bill was passed in August and the amendments will come into effect in May and there are four main ways that the laws will change. Firstly, um, there will be significant increases in maximum penalties for offences under the Act um, and that those penalties in some cases um, will triple, which is very significant and concerning. Um, but importantly, I think it's good to note as well that, that they are maximum penalties. They're not necessarily an indication of the most likely penalty, but still very, um, very concerning amendments. Um, and as Tuffy mentioned earlier, in some cases, that's up to $21,000 in fines or 12 months imprisonment um, for the hinder, obstruct or interfere with timber harvesting operations uh, with the prohibited thing. I should note as well that um, EJA and some other orgs will be working on putting together a bit of a guide and a fact sheet, so a lot of this information will be made available um, in hard copy for you and electronically um, before the amendments come into effect, so don't feel like you have to memorise all of this tonight. The second way um, the laws will be amended is the broadening of search and seizure powers. So authorised officers within a timber harvesting safety zone, safety zone can um, have broader powers to search bags and vehicles um, and persons in and around timber harvesting safety zones if they believe that they are about to, um, they are committing or they have committed an offence. And that's a lot broader than the laws, what the laws are currently. There'll also be changes to what's defined as a prohibited thing under the Act, which includes, uh, will include things like a PVC pipe. Um, and probably most concerningly second to this increases in maximum penalties is the introduction of banning notices. And that's an entirely new scheme under the Act. Um, it's the effect of the banning notices will be um, to... They'll be able to ban people for 28 days from entering a timber harvesting safety zone, um, which really does have consequences for um, folks who are seeking to um, oversee what's happening in the forests. And we know this is a very political space and that... Um, now, more than ever, citizen science is important, community oversight is important, so that's, um, again, quite a concerning amendment that will be made to the, to the laws. Um, importantly, also, infringement notices won't increase as a result of the amendment, so it is just um, offences under the Act that go to court. And also, these are strict liability offences, what's known as strict liability offences, which means that um, effectively an authorised officer 
um, charging someone with an offence isn't required to consider the reason um, that that person has entered a timber harvesting safety zone. So that's not to say that the reason's not relevant and that it doesn't become relevant down the track, but it's not something that um, has to be considered at the time. So like I said, we will be developing fact sheets and a guide to put all of that um, information together so that it's readily accessible. We are extremely um, committed to supporting forest activists and citizen scientists going forward, um, especially after the amendments come into effect. So please feel free to get in touch anytime if you have any questions. Um, there are lots of other community legal organisations in Victoria as well who are doing um, great work in this space and produce a lot of great resources. So there's lots of support out there um, and we're always happy to hear from people as well. I think that's it from me. Godfrey, you want to take it away? Godfrey from United Workers Union and CoPower. Thanks very much, Tuffy. And um, I too would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the of the land on which we, we come. Uh, and frankly, I'm still kind of angry that my ancestors got kicked off the commons by some dirty capitalists a couple of hundred years ago. Um, so, I, frankly... Um, that righteous anger is, is something that I stand in solidarity with. Um, I want to do three things this evening. Uh, number one, I just want to contextualise this attack on the right to organise for climate and the environment um, within a broader attack uh, in Australia on our basic civil, civil liberties over the last 30 years, but particularly with respect to an area that I have some experience in, with respect, uh, which is the labour movement. Number two, I just want to tease apart the false dichotomy that is presented between workplace safety uh, and organising around the environment and climate that is presented or assumed in this, uh, in this piece of legislation. And then number three, just suggest some potential ways to organise uh, on a class basis around climate and the environment that involves um, organising within the workplace. So just briefly, uh, this attack on the right to organise in, with respect to climate and the environment can't be disentangled ultimately to what we have in Australia, which in the sphere of labour relations... Uh, we don't really have the freedom of association at law. We don't have free trade unions really at law. Uh, in this country, the Fair Work Act, the Fair Work Brackets Registered Organisations Act, closed brackets, it runs for hundreds and hundreds of pages, plus 500 pages, which essentially regulates unions and there's a whole bunch of regulations on top of that. That's not normal. The Japanese Act that, reg that regulates the conduct of trade unions has two clauses. The Canadian Act that registers uh, that, that regulates trade unions runs for 13 pages in two languages. Even the UK Act that is the home of the, the Thatcher re-regulation of the labour market, you're, you're talking about 150 pages. 
the freedom of association at Australian law is the inverse of what it is in international law. In international law, the freedom of association is essentially a positive and collective right. The right for workers to get together in a workplace, across a sector, across an industry and positively determine how they are going to get together and regulate their working life and fight for their interests. Under Australian law since 1996, it is individual and focused around regulating or protecting people from not doing things. It is Orwellian in the true sense of the term. And that flows through in terms of how we regulate taking action, uh, the grounds on which people can take action. And this, to, to say that this is a thing, I know that we're talking about different jurisdictions here, but to say that this legislation around controlling um, environmental activists is for workplace safety when we have an IR regime that actively stops workers from taking into account their basic rights is, frankly, offensive. And there is not some strict... <laughs> there is not a strict dichotomy between, OK, workplace safety and standing up for the right, standing up for the environment, standing up for a safe climate. We conducted a survey at United Workers Union uh, through the UTS um, in 2019-2020. So before, well, after the bushfires but before the floods because now we mark time in terms of disasters and that's just the era that we're in. So while the pandemic was on, after the fires, before the floods. 56.3% um, of our members in who participated in that survey uh, and, and a majority in every state and territory nationally of our members said to us, the climate change today, pre-floods, climate change is negatively impacting their working conditions. So, that, so climate is a thing that Australian workers are saying they are having to pay for. That is a threat to their safety. That is a threat to their take-home paying conditions. And so there is not some sphere over here where it's workplace safety and dirty environmentalists over there and the twain shall never meet and we've got to protect one from the other. If you don't care about the right to organise around climate, you do not care about workplace safety. And that is just a fact. That is a reality. Um, and... The key question is, where do we go from here and how do we do it? And for me, partly that is, how do we organise around climate as a class issue? And that comes down to how are people, how do people get to have a say and who pays? Um, and so that's really just the old unionist tradition of bread and roses who pays and who has a say. Um, and I think there are a couple of ways through. One is around workplace safety itself, semi-ironically. Every Australian worker has the right to a safe workplace. Every, every worker has the right to um, elect their own health and safety reps, 
to be consulted about workplace safety and to cease work where there's an immediate threat to their health and safety. So the right to strike doesn't just exist under the Fair Work Act. It exists as a matter of basic human dignity. Uh, And getting organised around safety at work is key. Taking control where we can as consumers and instituting some democracy into the energy system is also a really important thing and it's part of the reason why I'm one of the co-founders of CoPower. It is unashamedly a project of democratisation, taking the bits of what we can do today, which is collectively bargaining with a licensed retailer, and using that to build a new world, which is doing stuff like having a pool of funds to uh, help fund and protect people who are engaged in climate organising or or funding other um, sorts of democratic transition projects. And the third thing is, even under the strictures of the Fair Work Act, it is incorrect to say that you you can't bargain around climate under the Fair Work Act per se, but you can do it if you link it to terms of conditions of employment to the employment relationship. So I don't have time to really go through that, but that is a way through there. You're with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast on 3CR, and we've just been at the mass meeting that was held uh, on Tuesday, uh, put on by GECO, the uh, Gungaroo Environment Centre, and it was all around uh, the uh, laws that are being uh, brought into uh, effect in May to try and uh, squash environmental uh, activism uh, protecting the native forests. We heard from Tuffy Morwitzer uh, from Goongaroo Environment Centre, Natalie Hogan, ecosystems lawyer with Environment Justice Australia, and Godfrey Mosey finished it off. He was the executive director at the United Workers' Union and co-founder of CoPower. As we come marching, marching in the beauty of the day, a million darkened kitchens, a thousand will-loves Brightened by the beauty of 
sudden sun discloses And the people here are singing bread and roses Bread and roses As we come marching, marching You're with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast, and this is a perfect segue to talking to uh, Lucy Gurin from uh, Contemporary Dance Company, I reckon, because, yes, you you represent the Roses. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? Oh, yes, I can. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry, I was just telling to my listeners that uh, uh, because you're from the Contemporary Dance Company, you represent the Roses, the Bread and the Roses, uh, in the sense that... Uh, uh, your new production, New Retro, is uh, a magnificent affair. Can you explain to my listeners what is expected, they can expect when they go and buy a ticket to come and see this new production? Yes. Um, so New Retro is a, a dance installation, a performance installation that will take place at the Australian Centre of Contemporary Art, which is a... Uh, a large gallery space um, in South Bank, and it's a it's a long form piece. It, it goes for about three hours, but audiences can arrive whenever they like, and they can come and go um, during the performance. And it's created from twenty one of my past dance works that I've made with the company, and I've selected excerpts from all of these dance works, just very short um, sections, and I've reassembled them into essentially a new work which um, takes place over those three hours. Yeah, this is a really fascinating idea. I mean, you've had a, a, a very interesting and long dance history, haven't you? Do uh, You, as a young dancer, you went off to New York. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Because... This particular piece does meld past with the present and the future, doesn't it? Absolutely, yes. Yes, I have had a very long dance history. And um, my early years from uh, um, 1989 to 1996, I I lived in New York. And that's where I began my choreographic career. Um, And it was a really important time for me. Um, It was a time when I... I did a lot of dancing for for other companies that had different ideas to people I'd worked with in Australia. And I also began my own 
choreographic practice while I was there. So it was a really important time. Now, now you you talk about this particular um, event per, uh, performance, New Metro Retro, um, as reveal. I mean, you found it confronting, and it revealed um, recurring themes and styles. Mm. Talk to, I mean, for people who uh, know little about dance, explain, this is the vocabulary of dance, isn't it, and emotion. That's right. So um, I guess it was confronting because I think looking back, uh, you don't always agree with your younger self, as you know, <laughs> the, the artist that you were 20 years ago. And so I guess there was some some aspects of my work that I was not so interested in anymore. Um, but there were also, I think, things that I'd, I'd overlooked, I feel now that I'd overlooked, and that I'm really keen to sort of resurrect um, some sections of dancers which I, I feel resonate more strongly now, perhaps than they did then. Um, and, yeah, so that's... Um, that's a really interesting thing that, I, that I've discovered in, in this whole process. Having been interested in, as an observer of dance, um, uh, there are style. When you talk about styles, there's fads, aren't there? There's what, sorry? Fads. In, in fads, move- yes. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yes, and, um, and yes, because I can see there were certain uh, styles and techniques that, Myself and my contemporaries were very familiar with, you know, these, this kind, this kind of um, sequencing through the body, this sort of rippling through the body. Um, we we did a lot of dancing uh, with straight, very straight arms and straight legs, um, and our our demeanour was really quite plain. So we we didn't dance in a hugely expressive way. It was much more. Uh, based around the movement and the movement vocabulary, um, whereas and dancing with some of the y- younger dancers, working with them today, I can see that they their the imprint in their body or the information in their body is is has changed. They've had different histories to what I had as a dancer. They've studied different dance techniques. You know, street dance is a huge influence on a lot of younger dancers, and which you know was just I wasn't aware of when I was a young dancer. So, um, but that's, you know, that's, that's the whole idea of the work is this kind of um, using this material to put, on the one hand, um, there's dancers that, who perform the original roles in, the, in these works. So they're uh, these older, more experienced dancers, uh, but then passing on to future generations, to the younger dancers. Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, now, uh, because it's actually uh, uh, telling the story of your dance troupe, in fact, and your emotional and creative life, it's also telling us something about the space that it's actually choreographed for. Now, this is quite ambitious, you know, going into ACA. Uh, an audience member will expect what? Because uh, what yes. about the soundscape? You know that sort of stuff. Yes, it's a good question. Uh, well, the soundscape, for a start, it's constructed in a similar way to how I've constructed the choreography. So the composer Jethro Woodward has taken 
the sound scores from all of the 21 works that I've used as source material. And he's constructed this long three-hour composition from fragments of all of those works uh, combined. Um, and as an audience member walks in, there's a, there is one huge gallery and um, there'll be a large dance piece that just continues over the three hours. Oh, right. uh, that, and then in, in the, there's three other galleries. In one of those is some video screens with 21 video screens arranged around the perimeter with all of the original works playing at the same time. Uh, so that that's like the archival room where the source material of the work exists. And then as they move into a, the next gallery, there's a dancer... Um, with a large projection on the wall, and they are learning the material in real time. So there's a there's a shift from this archival material to seeing how that material has been brought into the body, or or that they or how the dancer has learnt that, because most of them have learnt this material from video. Some of them have been lucky enough to have the original dancers there to teach them. But um, it's a big part of our work is watching video and being able to transcribe that onto the onto our bodies. And then in the last room, there is a series of full-length um, female duets, which is one of the one of the things that I noticed was a continuous throughout my practice as a choreographer was this interest in in this kind of duet form where there's a there's a kind of twinning or a, a kind of um, almost like um, double identity of two dancers. Mm, wow. And what about the... Uh, uh, what... I mean, I noticed... Uh, I, I looked at the creative team, right? Because uh, there's you and you have your vision. But uh, also, if it's a moving feast and the people who are there to watch and appreciate can move around the different spaces, how does, say, the stage manager deal with it? Good. That's a very good question. Um, the stage man manager will be, will be roving as well and will have to move between the different rooms. We have, we have two stage managers on this show. Um, and so the queuing between the rooms is, is quite tricky and we haven't done our technical rehearsals yet so there's a little bit to work out there. But um, essentially the stage manager will be able to actually just walk up to dancers and cue them if they need to. Oh, wow. And the lighting, so it's all very, very uh, responsive. Yes, yeah, yeah. And the lighting, the lighting is more like a, like a gallery lighting but it does have a beautiful design where there's um, bars of light that um, create a kind of a ceiling down down the space so it's a kind of sits a little bit between the worlds of um, the art gallery and the theater yeah yeah because uh, that, that just yeah. leads me to the next question which is uh, separation between uh, the audience and the performance is there a, a what what does that mean because uh, this is important. Yes. Well, um, the dancers will be much closer to the audience than they usually are, which is one of the reasons I, I really wanted to place it in a gallery, is um, just to be up closer to the dancers. 
and so they'll be they'll be moving they'll be moving around, and the audience can can go where they like. Uh, they can they can stand back against the wall, or they can walk across the room. They can move wherever they wherever they wish to. Oh, it's fantastic! What a great concept. You you must be. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. You, this must have been a very exciting affair for you guys. It's hugely exciting, and it's it's it, it includes so many of Melbourne's um, really talented and fabulous dancers and choreographers. So it's been a lovely moment to have all these artists come together. So yeah, it's it's a, it's a really big moment for us. That's oh, fantastic. So Saturday the 25th of March to Sunday the 2nd of April. Uh, it's yes. a magnificent uh, idea. Oh, thank you. Thanks for talking to us this morning. Okay, thanks. Bye. Yeah, it is. It's a magnificent uh, concept. This is That was Lucy Guerin. She's the choreographer and director of the Contemporary Dance Company and uh, it's her it's her. Uh, idea that company and it's been running for 21 years and uh, they've got this production called New Retro and it's at Acker and as I said Saturday the 25th of March to Sunday the 2nd of April it sounds like something that you will experience once only in a lifetime so buy your tickets
When you think of community, uh, think of 3CR. When you think of radio, think of 3CR. This is Joan Armour Trading asking you to support your community radio station, 3CR, the only alternative. and the UK under AUKUS are pushing Australia into another imperialist war. At the same time, whistleblowers who expose war crimes are jailed. Come to the rally and march for peace, truth, not war. 18th of March, beginning at 1pm State Library, marching to Treasury Gardens. Help build a people's movement for peace. No AUKUS Roundtable is a 3CR supporter. A weak solidarity bricky team listener when brickbats to, I hate to do this, but I feel I must, brickbats to this radio station for its biased coverage of International Women's Day, continually referring to it as International Working Women's Day when the mainstream media, the sensible, balanced, objective media like Lord Rupert of Wapping got it spot on. International Non-Working Women's Day. And okay, okay, it may have emanated from a few women in a sweatshop getting a bit upset over their wages and conditions or lack of, but that was long ago, as Hoagie Carmichael wrote. The world has moved on. Sweatshops have moved on. It's time 3CR moved on. Follow the example of, say, the True Blue Aussie Capitalist Review, which produced a beautiful lift-out sponsored by Sydney's prestigious Pimble Ladies College. The review itself and WB for women on boards. Explaining equality means women on boards. Women as caring employers. Women as bosses. Bosses of sweatshops, for instance, or of responsible companies that obtain their merchandise from sweatshops. And... An important, incisive article with three pimble ladies informing us <coughs> excuse me, what strategies they'd use in the workplace when you become a leader. See, it's assumed that a pimble lady will become a leader of industry, of commerce, of business, of things that matter. And another 16-page insert highlighting the women rising stars of capitalism while the Lord Rupert of Wapping Sin also celebrated the day with a lift-out. Power 100, the most influential women in, the, in true Blue Aussie sport, 
with a feature article from Katie Page, CEO of Harbour Your Money Norman, partner, of course, of the ever-happy Jerry Harbour Your Money, who they tell us, Katie that is, is a major supporter of sport, and yes, she sure is, with big investments raking in trillions. Goodness, it just happens that the ubiquitous advertiser Harbour Your Money Norman sponsored the lift out. And what do you know? Katie turns up at number three most influential woman in sport. And at number nine, among those super fit athletes training hour after hour to reach peak performance, that fitness fanatic and Trubler was his richest filthy rich of the filthy rich, Gina. Number nine, sport. Apparently, she throws a few crumbs of her super-duper obscene filthy wealth at a few sports just to show what a warm-hearted, caring employer she is. So, 3CR stops spoiling a great day, International Capitalist Women's Day. The responsible media never resorted to the words working women, nor to explain its origins because, well, they're happy to appropriate the day, but for goodness sake, there's no profit in working women. Just lots of profit from the work of working women, which is not the same thing. One thing is certain, inadvertence. Caring employers inadvertently underpaying workers, it's always inadvertent, revealing yet again the difficulty poor caring employers face comprehending caring employment conditions, and yet the cruel, heartless, unsympathetic, evil unions, such as the tertiary education union, whose members are owed millions, claim underpayment is, as <laughs> this for nonsense is, part of the caring employer's business model. And then a rarity, a good, good union, the Shopping the Workers Association, see it, eschews the union appellation, comes under attack from the federal court bench, which told it Rip Van Winkle could have seen workers at McDonald's salt, fat and sugar were being ripped off. Sorry, sorry, my mistake, being inadvertently underpaid. As the union opposes a case against McDonald's led by the rival evil, evil retail and fast food union. See, union, maverick union. That shows it's evil. Just because the Good Good Association took up the case months after the claim was lodged, but now wants the court to rule in its favour. And to think the evil union claims the association has long shown more concern for the major retailers than for its own members. <laughs> oh, and one thing is certain. If a caring employer ever did overpay a worker, OK, OK, this is hypothetical, ever did overpay a worker, it would be inadvertent. To prove their sincerity in addressing climate change, if there is such a thing, the great fossil behemoths invited us all to climb into a huge tub of green water. Here, they looked very pleased with themselves. Scrub your back with this. Handing us a huge lump of coal, just like the one former big supremo, well, as we since discovered, minister for just about everything, scuttled them more lash son, a.k.a. scummo, waved in Parliament, ordering us not to be afraid. Call our friend. And here's some oil to massage your body. Oh, oh thank you. What, what perfume is it? Actually, it's sump oil, but it'll do the trick. It stinks. That's the smell of money. Oh, and if the water gets a bit cold, just turn on the gas. There's plenty where that came from. As a transition, you understand. Uh, to renewable energy, of course. Watch your language. To coal and gas and oil. 
we are committed to transitioning from coal and gas and oil to coal and gas and oil. And to think there are people, long-haired, commie, greeny people, who accuse the great behemoths of greenwashing. Like the Troubler was his Securities and Investments Commission, ASIC, which is sick, all right, accusing giant retail super fund Mercer, I'll wait for it, of greenwashing just because Mercer attempted to do its bit for the environment by offering a sustainable investment option for those deeply invested to sustainability, its Sustainability Plus Fund, stating it excluded carbon-intensive fossil fuel companies and alcohol producers and gambling outlets. So obviously there must be a simple explanation for why the Sustainability Plus Fund invested in AG Hell to the Planet, BHP for bloody huge profits, bloody huge polluter, Glen Rotten to the Core and White Profits are Heaven Coal, along with numerous alcohol companies and the Crook Casino and Tabcor. It can offer its simple explanation when it hits court as Mercer has the honour of being the first fund charged with greenwashing. One obvious explanation is Mercer doesn't consider the world's great fossil behemoths of being carbon-intensive fossils, just a little bit intensive. And its investment team obviously didn't recognise by their names that those other investments were alcohol and gambling corporations. A simple little mistake anyone could make, particularly professional investors. Interesting aside... A few years ago, staff and students at Melbourne campaigned for the uni to stop investing in the fossil industry, and eventually the board agreed to conduct its investments through a fund committed to not investing in carbon-intensive fossils. And yep, you guessed it, good old Mercer, making life worse for Mother Earth. Moment of great pride for we true blue Aussies as His Most Gracious Majesty's home country our mother country praised us while adopting one of our great humane policies, turning back no proper papers, queue-jumping illegal boat people and dumping any who land on its shores in some remote spot far from the persecution they are fleeing. With this legislation, we can now be as cruel as our Antipodean colony for its fine array of ministers for concentration camps, razor wire and sink the boats, Big Supremo Rishi soon smacked the poor boasted. Uh, just one other thing, the Antipodean Big Supremo, one other thing. If they refuse to go to where you want to dump them, it's important to lock them up for life in the most remote place you can find. Trubler was he, proudly, cruel and heartless. In the world of spiralling costs of living, a constant mathematical equation goes, the more we try to conserve energy or water, our bills increase in the same proportion. Use as little water or energy as possible and bang, the bill soars proportionately. But good news. Enclosed in my latest water bill, the company tells us it surveyed customers asking what matters and arising out of, for a start it announced proudly, it will now provide safe and pleasant drinking water, reliable water and sewerage services, timely response and repair and service that meets everyone's needs. And I thought, for what we pay them, which bit of that needs a customer survey? Which bit of that isn't what they should be doing in the first place. And for the future, it tells us, saving water for the future. And 
looking after our natural environment. So obviously saving water in the environment can wait. Does that mean they're wasting water or not looking after the environment? They, they don't matter just yet, but they will in the future, sometime. And that's odds on we'll pay for it proportionately. On that, must check it they've added a conducting a survey charge to all the other charges on the bill. Finally, just when we thought the caring business class, hayseed and sheepshit coalition lots would oppose the socialists on everything, heartwarming to see they can reach agreement. Both our Minister for Offensive Train Killing, Richard Malls the Bad Guys, and his predecessor, Constable Peter Duffer, agree that paying trillions to the merchants of death for nuclear-powered nuclear targets is for peace, not war. Like you know, doesn't that warm our hearts, listeners, showing Richard and Constable Duffer know war is peace. Good morning. The US and the UK under AUKUS are pushing Australia into another imperialist war. At the same time, whistleblowers who expose war crimes are jailed. Come to the rally and march for peace, truth, not war. 18th of March, beginning at 1pm State Library, marching to Treasury Gardens. Help build a people's movement for peace. No AUKUS Roundtable is a 3CR supporter. And you're with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast. We're in the last half hour of the program. And uh, thanks very much, Kevin, for a, a brisk walk through the week. Talk about on the money with all that stuff with This Is The Week That Was. Uh, we're going to move on to the uh, rally that was held uh, on Wednesday, International Working Women's Day, at, down at the Treasury. Uh, there was a march and then it ended up in uh, par- outside Parliament. But uh, the speeches at the beginning of the march uh, are, are very telling. It, uh, the MC is Will Strack from the, uh, she's, uh, around assistant, one of these assistant secretaries of the Victorian Trades Hall Council. And the first speaker was La- Lara Watson, who is the Indigenous officer at the ACTU. So let's get along and hear what they had to say. Move to the front. <laughs> So I thought I'd do something a bit different this year. So often I'm asked to speak on the issues that affect Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women. Instead, I thought I might share some stories of women that have shared their stories with me since I've been working at the ACTU. Um, So I was traveling around uh, with the wage justice campaign wanting to end the highly punitive community development program and I come across three women wearing yellow shirts. So they've got a job where they go around in the community and they show family support and make sure that the kids get to school. And I ask them, how much do you get paid to do that work? 
Do you want to know what their response is? They don't. They get lunch. <laughs> there are very few jobs in remote communities. And what we actually saw was women that had employment since they were a teenager in the same place turn up to their job to find out they lost it because it was cheaper to put a CDP participant in that role. We know the statistics, we know they're not good, and we've seen consecutive governments with failed policies to benefit not just Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women, but Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in general. And this year, we have a very unique opportunity to actually deliver recognition and a voice enshrined in the Constitution so that we can have input into policies and laws made for us. So if you take anything away with what I am saying, please let it be a big, fat yes. Let us fight and walk together for a better Australia for everyone. Thank you. I'll leave it there. Thanks, Lara. I'll just say that the First Nations Workers Alliance, which is the um, trade union group uh, for First Nations folks, have asked the trade union movement to campaign for a yes. So we are very excitedly and enthusiastically backing them in on that. Um, my next speaker up here is Deb James. She's the president of the Victorian Trades Hall Council and the general secretary of the Independent Education Union. Thank you so much, Will, and um, I can't tell you how proud I am to be here today, both, both as the President and as the Secretary of the Trades Hall and of the, of the Independent Education Union. Um, let me add my um, acknowledgement of the traditional owners of the land on which we gather today. I think that's really important to do that all the time <clears throat> and pay my respects to their elders past and present. But in particular today, I want to pay my respects to the nans, the aunties, the sisters, the kids, the babies, the daughters, to all of the women of First Nations people for the fabulous uh, part they play um, in, in supporting everybody in First Nations culture. We gather today, it's International Women's Day, but you know, it really should be international, well, it's International Working Women's Day, and that's the way the thing started out. I want to acknowledge the militant struggles of women over the years who came before us. I want to celebrate the wins we've had and importantly, to get us to continue to commit to the fight for equality, fairness and safety for every working woman. Indeed, every woman, everywhere. We remember the Tayloresses who went on strike back in the 1880s. Uh, first strike, huge, huge stoush, and they walked off the job, were on strike, uh, uh, hundreds of them, um, in order to lift up rates of pay for them. There'd been an eight-hour day had been delivered some 30 years before, but these women weren't getting an eight-hour day. They were having to take their work home and do it at night in order to earn enough money. We remember as well the fabulous um, unionists and women who actually 
chained themselves to buildings in order to fight for pay equity and pay equality for working women. The fabulous Zelda de Prano, we're hoping that there'll be a, a, a proper tribute to Zelda de Prano very soon, a woman who really fought for um, equal pay for women. Um, although, let's fast forward to now, last year, just in the past 12 months, there have been a lot of wins for working women and we should celebrate those wins. Paid family and domestic violence leave as a universal working right, come on. Paid parental leave, moving from 20 weeks to 26 weeks, yes. Stronger equal pay laws and gender equality as an object of our workplace laws. Access to multi-employer bargaining, which would provide much more capacity to get agreements in, in female-dominated workplaces, like in aged care and in childcare. Uh, this is a really important thing for us to have won. Stronger rights to flexible work and, and, and avenues to, to, to appeal it if it isn't actually reasonably approved. And these things are vitally important. But, but one really important thing is our world-leading campaign to eradicate gendered violence at work. 60% of women have experienced gendered violence or sexual harassment and feel unsafe and vulnerable at work. And this is a shame. And it has got to stop and we've got to say no. It must end. We've got to educate the community, train workers, train delegates, train HSRs, have more women leaders, more people in power ensuring that this happens. We've got to remove the tools that employers rely on to cover their tracks, to cover up the gendered violence at work. The kind of thing that we know employers are doing day in, day out, more concerned about their own business and their own reputation than treating women fairly. We're stepping up the campaign to, to stop the misuse of non-disclosure agreements. You must all know people, or I've heard of people who've had to sign an NDA just to shut up, go away, take this money and don't tell anybody. And this is an outrage. We can't be silenced on this stuff anymore. This, these laws have got to change and we need much more protection in the space. They've silenced victim survivors. They've allowed employers to cover up repeated instances of gendered violence at work, prevented unions organising around the repeated incidents of gendered violence at work. So the Victorian government have accepted in principle the recommendation of the ministerial task force and we are going to pursue it with them. They've committed to the ongoing work and we are going to hold them to account for that ongoing work. We are not going to let it drop. It must happen and it must happen now. No more, not on our watch, it has to go. And maybe next year we'll be standing here and saying, the reduction in women being harassed at work and the, the numbers of women experiencing scheduled sexual harassment and gendered violence at work have really dropped. We've got to commit to doing that. The voices of the survivors should not be silenced. Um, we shouldn't be prevented from speaking to police or carers or health authorities or regulatory authorities. We've got to get laws in place that protect women at work. So look, I can see by the faces of every single woman and comrade in front of me that you support this, you want this, you'll fight for it, uh, and you will help us achieve that. Happy International Women's Day, sisters and comrades. Good luck for the fight.
So what do we say? End the silence. End the silence. End the silence. All right. Now our next speaker is Azi Davochi, and I apologise if I haven't pronounced that quite right. Um, she's a feminist researcher and writer, and she's been involved with the women's rights campaigns both inside and outside of Iran. I begin today by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land which we are gathering here and pay my respects to the elders past and present. Women, life, freedom is a slogan that has shaped recent social political movement in Iran. This movement gained public attention after the death in custody of Gina Mahsa Amini, a young Kurdish Iranian women killed by the regime's morality police. Since, the, since then, this women-led movement has gained support nationally and globally, becoming one of the most significant feminist movements in the region. In this movement, we fight for freedom, democracy, social justice, women's rights, and gender equality. For the past 43 years, the authoritarian regime in Iran has systematically oppressed women's voices, freedom of choice, and equal rights. A few examples of oppression against women are mandatory hijab, the rights for divorce, child custody, abortion, and leaving the country independently, and the list is still going on. Today, women from all ethnic groups and backgrounds have united and taken to the streets to fight for, uh, to fight for their rights. Unfortunately, as a result, many have been killed, imprisoned, tortured, raped, and shot in their faces and Gentiles. Our students, our high school students, our primary school students and universities, they are attacked by chemical gas. As we stand here on International Women's Day to unite with Australian women and women worldwide, our sisters in Iran are still fighting for their rights. Iranian women have realized that they cannot achieve freedom, social justice, and equality without overthrowing the dictator's regime. The movement which started six months ago is still evolving. We here, we are standing here to say the Iranian women need support from international community. As a group of Iranian activists, we urge the political leaders to listen to us and stop supporting our oppressors. We also call upon international community to show their solidarity with women, life, freedom movement, which will create a brighter future, not only for Iran, but the whole world. Women, life, freedom. Women, life, freedom. Women, life, freedom. Women, life.
All right. Um, our next speaker is uh, Lisbeth Latham. Lisbeth is a trans feminist trade union activist and an NTEU organiser. Would you please welcome Lisbeth? <laughs> Talk about a tough act to follow. Um, I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands in which we meet and pay my respects to their elders past and present. Um, as Will just said, my name's Lisbeth. I'm an organiser of the NTU. I've worked for the NTU for 15 years and I've been out as Lisbeth for 10, 10 of those years in the workplace, which has been much better experience than before I was out, um, as, as it tends to be. I think... Sorry. I'm not used to getting applauded. Um, I'm trying to also keep the three minutes and my talk keeps on getting shortened, so it will. Um, I'm going to talk about probably three things. The first is talking about the, um, the work that unions are doing around gender affirmation leave. Then I want to talk about the attacks on trans people around the world and how those attacks intersect on the on the, with the attacks on all women. And then finally, I want to talk about things we can do to get inspired on the great, one of the greatest days of the year, International Women's Day. So, um, the NTU, but other unions as well, in, this, in our um, bargaining for new enterprise agreements which set conditions for workers and you know, their pay and other rights, we're trying to get paid gender affirmation leave uh, for, gen for transgender and non-binary staff who want to affirm their gender and need time off to do that. Um, it's really important because affirming your gender is, can make a huge difference in the life of, of, of a trans and non-binary person. But we're also seeking leave special paid leave because we see it as being um, consistent with the work that our movement has done for years in identifying individual, individual sections of workers who have particular needs and, and so therefore we claim separate leave for them. We've, and we've heard about it already um, tonight about some of the other areas of leave that we, the, union, the movement has won, um, both historically but in the last year as well. Um, We're trying to do this in a period where the rights of trans people are pushing forward. We're more visible. There's more people who feel comfortable in identifying being trans and coming out. But at the same time, that those wins are seeing a backlash because conservative forces see not just that that's a threat, but they see trans people as an easy target who can be picked off and then they can move on to other parts of the movement and our community. And so what I really want to say is that when people say trans rights are somehow in conflict with the rights of women, that's just not true. Yeah. The advancing of, of the rights of trans people advances everyone's rights. But more importantly, when you try to hold back the rights of trans people, you hold back the rights of other people, particularly women. And we've seen that all over the world. So when we have people trying to restrict access of trans women or police access of trans women to toilets, but women look so different. We can see it tonight. No one looks like a single thing. And so there are just so many women who are going to get harassed because they don't look like a woman. Um, we're also seeing it around the attempts to restrict the right of trans people to access uh, medical affirmation treatment. And while that's a huge 
a terrible thing for trans people. It's been it's completely tied with the attack on reproductive rights for all people and particularly abortion rights. And we're seeing that in the US, where at the same time as they're limiting access to treatment for trans people, they're trying to criminalise access to abortion and criminalise um, having a miscarriage, which is the most obscene thing. So it's terrible. But we are winning. And by standing together and, and, and being clear in the words of the industrial workers of the world, an injury to one is an injury to all, and we are going to fight any attack. that happens on any part of our community. Finally, this is great, there's stacks of people here in NAM tonight, but if you really want to be impressed, it's my favourite part of IWD every year, go on social media, do a search for the hashtags 8M, 8Mars, 8Marzo, and you'll see photos and videos from all around the world of tens, hundreds, thousands of hundreds of thousands of women standing together saying we want a world free of violence, whether that's in the home, on the street, in our workplace, or from authoritarian regimes, and we want a world where we can control our reproductive rights and have autonomy over our bodies. Thank you very much. If you're going to Peaches and Bikini Kill, have a great time. And our last speaker here is Ashley Wyatt. Ashley is an early childhood educator and a very proud member of the United Workers Union. Thank you for having me. Um, I'd like to start with acknowledging the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people that we're all on and that I am lucky enough to teach and play on. Um, I'm a little bit disorganised. I thought I'd get some time off the floor today, which was obviously silly of me to think that was possible. <laughs> yeah, the early childhood educators know. Um, so I have been working in this sector for over 10 years and um, how I feel and how we feel across the sector is used. COVID highlighted both how much our sector is needed for society to move on and how also how mistreated early childhood educators are. And now educators are leaving in droves. The government has been rolling out all these new wonderful programs for parents, but I'm wondering who is going to deliver them if everyone's leaving the sector. It's impossible to hire staff at the moment. Who wants a job that is so physically and mentally taxing only to be paid one of the lowest rates in Australia? The sector has run on goodwill for too long. We've had enough. <laughs> Last year, United Workers Union and Big Steps campaign shut down the sector, and now representatives have been meeting with the government to ask for a or to demand a 25% pay increase, government funded. We want to be safe, respected, and equal. Enough treating care and education professionals like dirt. We know that feminised industries are not taken seriously and we are beyond sick of it. Care and education are real skills. Early childhood educators are professionals and we deserve more. We deserved more a long time ago. And if anyone has 
any uh, doubts about the skill required to do our job, I formally invite you to spend one day in my kinder room. Thank you very much. Happy International Women's Day. And right there you can see how Ash closed down three early childhood education centres as part of the stop work last year. All right, that ends the speeches here. We're going to go for a bit of a walk now because we like walking through the city. Now we're going to walk down that way. And there you go. They were the speeches at the International Workers' Women's Day, putting the work worker back in the IWD calendar. And uh, that's the end of the program for today. Uh, we um, started off the program by going to the mass meeting held by GECO, the Gungra Environment Centre, around the right to organise for climate and in the environment. It was specifically looking at Victoria's uh, laws that are coming in in May that is... Uh, using uh, safe, safe work practices as a cover for stopping citizen scientists to go uh, checking for endangered species and also people who are defending uh, old-growth forests, uh, calling it a safety risk. But, of course, as it was pointed out by Goffrey Mose from uh, the United Workers Union, uh, increasingly workers are finding that uh, the environment crisis is actually a safety issue for workers. We moved on to talk to Lucy Guerin, who is the uh, choreographer and um, uh, what is it? She She's the choreographer and director of the Contemporary Dance Company, a new retro which is going to be on Saturday the 25th of March to the 2nd of April at Acker, which is uh, just uh, off out of the... Uh, it's just next to the Malt House, actually, actually um, Acker. Uh, it sounds like a fantastic affair, uh, celebrating 21 years of uh, the Contemporary Dance Company, and it uh, runs for three hours, but as an audience member, you can go through and go out as you choose. So, fantastic kind of thing. Look, look it up, and uh, that's retro, new retro. That's the shot. And uh, after that, we heard from Kevin. This is the week that was, and uh, we went to the International Working Women's Day uh, event uh, that was uh, Woman Life Freedom. Uh, talking about the uh, struggle going on in Iran at the moment. was uh, There was a, a big contingent. Um, uh, just before we go, West, the Free West Palpua Art Show and Sale, live music, legend speaking, uh, Thursday the 16th of March, Le Monde, Bly Street, 6.30, 9pm. It's free, but it's an art show and sale to support... Free West Peltier. That's it for Solidarity Breakfast this morning. Uh, Asia Pacific Currents is taking a rest, a well-deserved rest. But we'll go out with uh, Waiting for a Great Leap Forward and uh, by Billy Bragg, who's in town next week, and uh, leave you with a bit of music before Palestine Remembered. Camelot 
for Jack and Jacqueline But on the Che Guevara Highway Filling up with gasoline Fidel Castro's brother spies A rich lady who's crying Over the luxury's disappointment So he walks over and he's trying To sympathise with her But he thinks that he should warn her That the third world is just around the corner In the Soviet Union A scientist is blinded By the resumption of nuclear testing And he is reminded That Dr Robert Oppenheimer's optimism fell First hurdle in the cheese pavilion, and the only noise I hear is the sound of someone stacking chairs and mopping up spilled beer, and someone asking questions and basking in the light of the Filled minutes of the fanzine writer Mixing pop and politics He asks me what the use is I offer him embarrassment And my usual excuses While looking down the corridor Out to where the van is waiting I'm looking for the right leap forward Jungle sales are organised And pamphlets have been posted Even after closing time There's still parties to be hosted You can be active With the activists or sleeping With the sleepers You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.